I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News. Now, the Jack Riccardi Show. All right, thank you, Tom. Good afternoon on San Antonio's News Talk Station 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack Riccardi, welcome to welcome to our Monday show. This is kind of a weird week because we'll have uh, we'll be off tomorrow. We'll have some special programming on the Fourth of July, and then back again live on uh, on Wednesday. I've had a lot of people say, "Well, why are you live today?" And that was just a corporate decision. I mean, I'm, ha- I'm happy to do it. I would have been happy to do tomorrow too, but that's that's a corporate thing. And I don't explain corporate things because I've only got a three-hour show. We that would that would be all we could do, and I still probably wouldn't explain it. But anyway, I'm glad you're here. You can join the show at two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So this weekend was really about uh, the the left licking their wounds over the uh, Supreme Court troika of decisions last week, and we got all those decisions last week because the Supreme Court's term ended on Friday, and it's become a thing now that they really park all the major controversial hot-button decisions, which now we have every year. You know, it used to be, when I, was, when I was a student and I was studying this stuff, you know, every so many years, there'd be many, many, many routine years, and then every so many years, there would be a landmark Supreme Court term with a decision that would be, you know, historic. Every year is like this now. And so what we had last week was, in essence, the left defending racial discrimination, the affirmative action decision, uh, defending government-compelled speech, the website decision, and presidents ruling by decree the student loan decision. This is from a Twitter, Twitter account called Comfortably Numb. In the last 24 hours, the left has defended racial discrimination, government-compelled speech, and presidential ruling by decree. Which party, he writes, is closer to national socialism? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says Democrats should take action. Now, you would think, uh, if you're over a certain age, that taking action would be winning elections and appointing future Supreme Court justices, but no. Uh, she says um, we should investigate conservative justices for conflicts of interest, haul them before Congress, and impeachment. There must be impeachment on the table, she said over the weekend. Um, so how, how are you? how's that grabbing you? How is impeaching Supreme Court justices uh, sounding to you? Uh, most people are uh, nauseated by the thought of another confirmation hearing whenever there's a vacancy. Now, in between confirmation hearings, we would have impeachment of Supreme Court justices. I, I think that the left is presuming that their outrage is everyone's outrage. And I, I'm going to say not so fast. Um, I'll, I'll give you that people are probably divided about student loan debt. I think there was a poll from ABC that said the American people are roughly divided. But they're not divided on whether presidents can just order it. They're divided on whether student loan debt is so onerous and, and terrible that something needs to be done. Um, but I, I don't think that most people, or even a plurality of people, found the decision about affirmative action disturbing, upsetting, couldn't sleep, lost their appetite, uh, or the one about um, making people uh, do things. 
So the, the, the common problem you have when you're in either an extreme left or an extreme right environment is that you start to think, because everyone you know and everyone you're kibitzing with on social media or your friends, you're all equally outraged. It's, it, you then think everyone in the country must be feeling this, and they're not. And it's even worse when you're on the East Coast. When you're on the East Coast, whether you're in Washington or New York or Boston, you think you are living an experience that the whole country is experiencing. And I've told these stories before. When I moved to the middle of the country, I got a a wake-up call about how different our priorities are. And it's not that we don't care about there's it's not, it's not that there's no overlap. It's just that there there are clearly is a bubble of culture and politics on the East Coast. So anyway, she's saying, um, you know, we're, we're so upset. America's so upset by the Supreme Court. We got to start impeaching. Uh, Pete Buttigieg was on um, Face the Nation on CBS. Um, I think he was on a lot of the shows, but the CBS one is the one I I, uh, I saw. And I want to play you a couple of uh, things that he said. They were asking him to react to the web designer case. Lori Smith is the web designer with Christian Beliefs who didn't want to do a website for a same-sex uh, couple. And Pete was really put out by the fact that he doesn't even think um, th- this was an actual situation he, he he actually thinks that and and i've heard other people say this that laurie smith never had a gay client never was actually asked by anyone to make a website that she purposely created the circumstances that led to a case that led to the supreme court cut number three what do you make of the argument that colorado was labeling free speech as discrimination in order to censor it I think what's really revealing is that there's no evidence that this web designer was ever even approached by a same-sex couple looking for services to support their wedding. So you're seeing more and more of these cases and these circumstances that uh, are designed to get people spun up and designed to chip away at rights. Yeah. Um, Like, the left has never created a test case for some cause that they were concerned about or interested in. They've never done that before. I mean, I, I, I acknowledge that's a strategy. I don't know. I don't know Lori Smith. I don't know what happened with her. But um, that's, a, that's a totally wishy-washy, meaningless thing to object to because both sides do it. It's very common. And, and for that matter, um, I, I come back to the question I always ask in cases like this or that uh, guy that was forced to bake the cakes. Why would you want someone to perform a service for you that they don't want to perform? What, why would you want to hire someone? Why do you think it is a good idea to compel a person, even if it's hypothetical? Like, why do you want your website or your cake or your wedding photos to be taken by or created by somebody that isn't, you know, simpatico with you? Aren't, aren't, in fact, aren't we usually, if we're looking for anything, we're looking for people that we think are like us, and and sympathetic to us, but w- what kind of person, and I'm talking about real people, derives satisfaction from knowing that their uh, website or their cake was the, the product of somebody that hated to do it, didn't want to do it, had to go against their religious beliefs to do it. 
I mean, I, I like the argument people make, like Ted Cruz made this argument, I think, about how, well, what if, what if we made a Muslim uh, businessman, you know, do something, uh, like, what if we made a Muslim artist draw a picture of Muhammad, which they're forbidden by their faith from doing? Um, I, I mean, I, that's a good argument, too, that we, we don't want to live in a world that, where the government compels people to go against whatever their religious beliefs are. There's no need for that. Other than, I guess, when you succeed at doing it, there's a kind of person that feels better about themselves. But, but again, I'm asking, what kind of person is that? So whether Laurie Smith's customer was real or hypothetical, who, who the hell wants that? You know? And, um, and then he went on to say, Pete Buttigieg got spun up about the whole thing with gay rights and what's happening today. And I want you to hear this, and we're going to talk about this. Cut number four. And I think the bigger picture here, when you look at the uh, Supreme Court taking away a woman's right to choose, uh, you look at Friday's decision diminishing the equality of, uh, of same-sex couples, uh, you look at a number of the decisions that have been made, they pose a question that is even deeper than these big cases. And the question is this, did we just live to see the high watermark of freedoms and rights in this country before they were gradually taken away? Because up until now, not uniformly but overall each generation was able to say that it enjoyed greater inclusion greater equality uh, and more rights and freedoms than the generation before and those decisions have added up and affected so many people uh, including me of course as I'm yeah. uh, uh, getting ready to uh, go back to uh, m my husband and, and our twins uh, for the rest of this morning uh, thinking about the fact that the existence of our family uh, mm. is is only uh, a reality because of a one-vote margin on the Supreme Court uh, a few years ago these are the kinds of things that are at stake and we have a mm -hmm. Supreme Court uh, that is very much out of step with how most Americans view these issues Oh, boy, there's so much. Don, keep that. Hang on to that. I may need to re revisit that. There's so much in there. I don't even know where to begin. Um, his family would not exist. So families don't exist without the government approving them? Because aren't there people that live together and have kids and stuff? And uh, weren't there gay couples before the Obergfell decision? I, I know there were. I'm it's hypothetical. Um. So just this idea that we wouldn't even exist, our family wouldn't even exist. And he talks about how, have we seen the high water mark? And I thought about that because if you think about like five, ten years ago, and I don't know if you were listening to talk radio then. I've been doing this a long time. Next year I'll, I'll be doing radio for 40 years and uh, talk radio for most of that time. If you go back about like 10 or 12 years ago, um, one of the hottest topics on talk radio was gay marriage. We were debating it. People were arguing about whether or not it should be legal and whether or not states should legalize it. And many of the states that did legalize it eventually didn't legalize it the first time around, including the very, very liberal state of Massachusetts. They, they said no the first time it came up. I, 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 I managed to do some shows up there. I was down here. I was doing some fill-in on WRKO in Boston, and we were talking about this issue. And it was very interesting in one of the most liberal cities in the country, uh, at the, the range of opinions and the emotions. But when we were debating whether it was talk radio or in state legislatures, gay marriage, maybe that was frustrating to people like Pete Buttigieg, but that was organic and natural and how we do things in this country. 
And even whatever side of that debate you were on back in the day in 2005 or 2008 or 2010, whatever side of it you were on, you weren't panicked because you knew that it would take a while and we would have a lot of debate and there would probably be compromise. And, you know, I think that was better. I'm going to say, tell me what you think. That was better than waking up one morning and finding out that everybody's got a gay pride flag or that uh, we're we're having kids touch guys in dresses in, in the classroom or whatever it is and acting like this is normal and we've always had this and what is your problem? That's what people are are frustrated and upset about and that's what's creating a lot of the rancor is that we've gone from being a country that worked through decisions to being a country where just somebody like Pete Buttigieg comes along and says, this is how it needs to be now, right now. And as far as the high watermark, I've said this before, and I think other people have too. I think, I think it's probably been said a lot of different ways, but um, I don't think the current concept of, you know, drag queen story hour or kids secretly transitioning at school is helpful to the everyday lives of most gay uh, men and women. I think that's working against you. I think that is giving your uh, life and lifestyle and choices a bad name. I don't know why you would let yourself be associated with that. I really don't. Uh, but that's, that, that's, I think, when he says, well, did we see the high watermark? What we saw 10, 12 years ago was people having discussions and debates and feeling like we're going to hammer this out, not we're going to have it uh, handed to us and demanded of us all at once. So I want to kind of talk about that and um, what he said. By the way, there was a story out of Michigan, this Michigan television station, WOOD in Grand Rapids, fired its two news directors or a news director and assistant news director. Um. And their offense was apparently that they told their reporters in covering a pride event or pride events to get both sides on these issues. And this was reported on Yahoo News like it was horrible. Like, what kind of monsters are these two? But, in fact, isn't it more interesting that that would be the outlier or the anomaly? Wouldn't you think that the assignment would always be? When you go to a rally or an event, we'll get the other side. It shows you how how far we've fallen that not only are we not expecting reporters to get the opposing point of view at a pride event, but my god, if we if we even say that, you're fired. And and this is what I think people are are reacting to. I don't think I don't think everybody that's that's sickened and frustrated and upset by the pride things is anti-gay people they're just anti pretending it's normal and we've always had all these things that we've only had like in the last year and we didn't get to them through debate and discussion the way we always do in this country anyway those are some thoughts i want to start with that yeah there's so much mourning and gnashing of teeth uh if if the left actually enjoyed the fourth of july weekend they'd have a hard time enjoying it, I guess, because because they didn't get their way at the Supreme Court, and that means we need to impeach the justices. And uh, I, I'm being facetious. I know many people on the left enjoy the Fourth, but 
But but when you look at what they're actually upset about, it isn't just that um, these rulings failed to confirm their viewpoint on things like affirmative action and government-compelled transactions. It's it's really also that um, they want what we have now, which is the instantaneous norming of things that are not normal, that you, you and I are not used to. And when you think about how we got here, the debate over gay marriage, by the way, I say this as, as a radio talk show host, that was a great topic for many years. That was a solid winner. I mean, the phones would light up, people had strong feelings, you would get uh, interesting anecdotes from people about their marriages, their relationships of all kinds. And um, it, I, I remember um, when I did the show in Boston, um, one day we came at it just from the are you for or against it, and then another day I framed it as if, well, shouldn't the conservative position be that government shouldn't favor marriage or types of marriage? So if government's going to issue licenses, and really the gay marriage debate was was really about licensing marriage, right? Because the, gov- the government doesn't perform the marriage ceremony. The government just issues the marriage license. So if we're going we're gonna to license marriage, uh, should we license all of them or just some of them? Uh, or not at all, and and it, would a conservative position be to just keep government out of marriage? And we had an interesting, you know, range of reactions on that. But um, yeah, I, I I think the uh, I think their problem is when they get a taste of their own medicine, and a Supreme Court decision is abrupt, you know, it's it's um, immediate, and it has no you know other than the the arguments that lead up to it, which are mostly out of the public eye, they're getting the feeling we've been getting, that, hey, the rug got pulled out from under us. What do you mean we can't do affirmative action anymore? What do you mean we can't? And and, and so I would argue that this high watermark that Secretary Pete is talking about, what what I think he might be referring to, at least what I think he should be referring to, is what we were actually doing these things uh, gradually grinding them out, uh, people were arguing. People felt a part of it. They didn't feel like, look, if 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 things were going to change in in the schools, they were going to change gradually. They were going to change over the course of your kid's time in school or from one year to the next. And I think that's what a lot of people are reacting to. Now, you may say, well, that's not how I feel, Jack. But I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of people out there for whom being told, oh, we've... You know, uh, drag queen story hour or kids changing their pronouns. Come on, that, we've, that's always been normal. N- no, it isn't, and we know it isn't. Okay, it's okay to disagree about it, but don't tell me that that I'm crazy for not being used to that. And that's what I think people are reacting to. 210-599-5555. And then the, the, uh, the thing about the college loan forgiveness, th- there's such a um, hypocrisy uh, to that, so if you ask people about forgiving college loans, you you probably would find that there are a lot more people than you think who believe something needs to be done, or they're in that situation, or their kids are in that situation, and and it's killing them. Um, and if you're in that situation, it's hard to be philosophical about forgiving student loans. Y- you need help. 
I, I, I get that. And the politicians definitely get that. That decision was not about whether college is too expensive, whether loans are predatory. That decision was about whether the president had the authority. And he knew he didn't have it. He said in the past he didn't have it. Nancy Pelosi said, I believe it was last year or two years ago, people think presidents can forgive student loan debt, and they can't. Those were almost her exact words. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm very close. When a president issues an order or a policy that he knows is illegal and tries to do it anyway, he is literally violating his oath of office. It's disgraceful. That's what this was about. It wasn't about whether college is too expensive or not. It was about whether or not presidents, in the name of being popular, in the name of pandering, can just invent powers they didn't have. And I'm sure that people who voted for Biden talked till they were blue in the face about how afraid they were of Trump and his powers for four years. Would they have been all right if he had invented a power like this? So it, it, that's what it was about. And um, there again, there again, rather than grind it out, work it through the Congress, figure out a compromise. I mean, that's how all great legislation, if you, if you look through American history, big important things, and I don't even think this is a big important thing, but, you know, things like the Civil Rights uh, Bill and, and, you know, big things take time, require compromise, uh, move more slowly than maybe people want, but our system is built for that. And that's how people accept things they disagree with. Well, it took so long to get to it, I kind of got used to the fact that things were going to change. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm against the outcome, but I've had time to, to brace myself for that outcome. We don't have that anymore. Our system doesn't have those shock absorbers. Our system today is you wake up in the morning and there's a new normal that no one told you about. And it's by edict. 210-599-5555. So after the affirmative action uh, decision from the Supreme Court last week, one of the hot takes from places like CNN and NPR was that Asian Americans uh, were basically uh, used or dupes. That they were co-opted by sneaky white people and used to kill affirmative action and that they don't know it. Soledad O'Brien, who used to work for CNN and I think now works for, I think she's freelance or does some stuff for NPR. She she tweeted this out uh, Saturday. Congrats on screwing over other people of color. This was to an Asian person. Congrats on screwing over other people of color, ma'am, particularly those whose efforts in civil rights paved the way for your family to come to America, which is really nasty, right? I mean... <laughs> That's pretty close to why don't you go back where you came from. Um, she's a nasty person anyway. She's partisan. She's racist. She's just, I don't know what happened to her. But um, it's an interesting take. NPR had a story about how Asians really weren't discriminated against by Harvard and other these other colleges. They were just used by white people who wanted to end affirmative action. Um, in fact, um, 
That is exactly wrong. That's exactly wrong. Asian-American applicants to Harvard, University of North Carolina, the California State University system, were overtly and specifically uh, made to clear higher standards. In other words, given given a, an extra you know feat of endurance they had to complete, which was not designed to be impossible for them. It was designed to lower the percentage of them as as any admitting as any freshman class in any uh, you know admitting uh, newly admitted class. So they were. They were very specifically targeted. It wasn't them and others. It was them. And it was only because they were Asian American. In other words, there wasn't any other um, socioeconomic uh, consideration. And, in fact, while I'm sure there are Asian American people who support affirmative action, I mean, I'm sure there are. It's a big, it's a big community. There's, undoubtedly, there's diversity in it. It, it is not hard to find people. I have met many of them, had them call our show, have them written to me, who are Asian American who say, yeah, that happened to me. I, we didn't even realize it at first. And when we realized it, we couldn't believe it because we thought, we had been told by the left, this, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. So what's also interesting about the left's horror at the um, affirmative action ruling is that they didn't touch another thing that has been very prominent in college admissions for years, and that's legacy admissions, where um, you can get into a lot of schools in a favored way or on a uh, expedited basis if you have a parent or a family member who has gone uh, or is going to that school. And it seems like if you're about diversity, that would really be, that would really have to go. Like that would be a very, anybody that would be an enemy of, of uh, you know, the Supreme Court decision, anybody that would be a, a, an ally of affirmative action and diversity admissions would hate Legacy admissions, you would think, right? But it's that's not the case. They love they love diversity. Uh, they love uh, legacy admissions because they use them. I mean, think about all the big time libs that everybody in the family goes to Yale. Everybody in the family goes to Cornell. Everybody in the family goes to Harvard. Everybody in the fa- that they they want that Stanford, whatever it is. And so even though that actually is a problem for, like, immigrant groups and African-American students and stuff like that, kids who may potentially be the first member of their family to even go to college, obviously for them, legacy admissions are a non-starter, right? Just of no help. Interesting how there isn't outrage at the preservation of legacy admissions. And then there was a story, um, I forget who had this first, I saw it in a couple of places over the weekend. Um, You know, the Biden administration was pretty upset with the SCOTUS affirmative action decision and said all the things you'd expect them to say, but it turns out, I think Byron York had this, that Hunter Biden got preferential treatment uh, for University of Pennsylvania 
with help from his dad, the former vice president. And more recently, uh, President Biden has used clout to get Hunter's daughter, uh, one of the ones that he acknowledges, um, admitted to, uh, I think it was the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Yeah, he has a granddaughter named Maisie. So you would think, just logically, that people that um, are so upset about this Supreme Court decision would pivot and go, well, we're, we're going to go after legacy admissions. And legacy admissions are indefensible. Like, there's no, there's no uh, logical good reason for legacy admissions that I've ever heard. I mean, I, they're, it's just about insider privilege and, you know, knowing somebody. But, but I mean, I can't think, I, I don't, I've never heard and I can't think of a, um, fact-based, emotionless, here's why these are a good idea kind of reason. But you see, the people that would have to go after them are the Bidens and the Clintons and the Bushes and the people that have used them and are going to continue to use them and benefit from them. And, and, and if you're the first person in your family to go to college, you can't possibly benefit from them. You're not even perhaps aware that they exist because it's not a thing to you. How is it that all this outrage and emotion, and we're going to have hearings, and we're going to impeach justices, AOC, how is it that they've missed that? You say, well, maybe because it's, 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 it's a relatively small percentage of admissions. Okay. But every one of those seats could potentially be a black person, a brown person, an Asian person, a person from a developing country, a person from an immigrant group, a person that's trans, a person that's... So, and, and who are they almost all of the time? They are almost always white and rich. Hmm. This seems tailor-made for the always angry left in this country. But their silence is telling they have nothing to say about legacy admissions. Interesting. 210-599-5555. Cat got your tongue. I, I, uh, I was noticing uh, there's news about Bud Light today, if you haven't heard this. Uh, several hundred people are being laid off at bottling plants because as sales have declined, they don't, you know, they're, they're selling less beer. They're going to start producing less beer. Uh, Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch, is, uh, they're doing a bunch of promotions. I'm not even going to get into what they are, but... If you're a customer, you would know how to get these rebates and promotions and whatever. But but um, as I was reading through all this, and, and of course we knew this was coming, it was uh, it was interesting to me to think about this, and I wanted to ask this, kind of put this in front of you, see what you think about it. 210-599-5555. When we see what Bud Light did, some people, and I maybe I'm even guilty of it, um, Describe it as stupid, or they made a mistake. Is that necessarily true? Did Bud Light blow up billions of dollars in value and market share because they didn't know that people would react to Dylan Mulvaney the way they did? Or are the people running these brands, 
And I don't know who that is. I, I don't. I mean, I know the name of the company that owns it, but as with the Biden administration, it's one thing to know the name of the president. It's another thing to know who's really running the country, right? So whoever's really running Bud Light, and I don't know who that is, was this a dumb decision or is this like a suicide mission? You know, when the when the Japanese pilots at the end of World War II were flying their planes into our ships, they weren't making a navigational error. They were intentionally crashing the planes into our ships because it was all they had left to do, because they believed in martyrdom. And it was, in essence... It, 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 for a country that was on its last legs, it was the it was all that remained to them. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's that. The, the, those planes didn't hit those ships in the Pacific Ocean by mistake, right? I don't know if Bud Light was crashed on purpose. Are these companies being run by people? Remember now, the people running them, they didn't create the value. They didn't put in the work and the effort and the creativity and the talking frogs and all the things that over many, 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 many years built these brands up to, uh, you know, blue chip status. The people that make these decisions didn't do any of that. They just inherited the fruits of other people's labor and creativity. Are they crashing these brands on purpose? Are Are they crashing them to uh, create destruction out of which will be new things. Like maybe that lady who said the image of the beer was fratty and out of step, maybe people like her really want a new brand. You know, I don't know if it would be called Dylan Mulvaney beer, but I mean, just imagine it was for a minute, you know. Like maybe the idea is that Things like Disney and Bud Light and uh, companies that remind Americans of another time and a different set of values. Maybe, Maybe there are people running these brands that want to destroy them, that hate them. I know it sounds crazy because you're saying, but what about the stockholders? Okay, but, but if you're a fanatic, if you're on a mission... Um, you've got blinders on. And you are sure that you'll be all right, even if what you destroyed is not. Who's running these brands? I'm not saying there's a plot or there's some big conspiracy, but are they, are they trying so hard or do they feel so compelled to pander to the far left that, in essence... The boycott is something they're proud of. It's an accomplishment. They couldn't say it. They can't act like they're happy about it. They have to act like they regret it and so forth. But that's an act, maybe. What do you think? Yeah, I've got another one of my uh, tinfoil hat theories that I'm just kind of spinning out. I mean, I I, I get it that when we look at the recent spate of uh, big brands that have done inexplicable, you know, damage to themselves, self-inflicted wounds, Obviously, Bud Light's the most uh, prominent one, but I was also reading, uh, what did I do with it? Apparently, the uh, Indiana Jones movie was a fiasco uh, for Disney over the weekend. Uh, the latest Indiana Jones movie 
Uh, obviously, a beloved movie franchise, one of the most popular sets of sequels in Hollywood history. Blockbuster after blockbuster, uh, with a star that you know Harrison Ford that everybody loves, um, a greatly underperformed in its uh, opening weekend. Um, so this latest Indiana Jones movie, um, basically uh, underperformed uh, by like half of what the previous one did. So I guess that could be that people are getting tired of it or that Harrison Ford's getting old, but um, if you're doing an apples-to-apples thing, is it possible that Disney is another one of these companies like Bud Light that is being run by, by people who are not the people whose names are in the news? Like... When Anheuser-Busch hit the news, there was the CEO and there was the director of marketing, but I don't know if that's who really made the Dylan Mulvaney decision. I don't know who's really pushing the woke agenda or the political uh, content of Hollywood movies, but um, the Disney brand is having its... uh, There's a story here that says Disney brand is having its worst... Or Disney stock, excuse me, is having its worst year since 1974 which was a, um, a recession year. Uh, and it, it, is it that people have negative feelings about the products? Is it that people are not pleased with the content when they go to the theaters? Is it the endless rebooting of things that we liked just fine in their original form? And that the reimagining of these things is not making us happy is, you know, even even Disney's theme parks are are struggling. And for the longest time, I remember saying last year when we were talking about their their difficulties with their woke movies. Well, but the theme parks are still doing really well. Well, now even that's not as true as it used to be. And uh, and attendance has not come back as strong post pandemic as they had predicted. So are companies like Disney and let's say Bud Light, are they crashing these brands on purpose? Is somebody to demonstrate their love and loyalty for the trans community or the LGBTQ community is is the way you show that you mean it doing this? And then from this, when when you've destroyed an old brand that has traditional values and connotations, then do you get to create the new woke brand that has none of the baggage of the old brand. I know that sounds crazy. It, it, it sounds crazy to you and me because we would think if I was entrusted with something that had a, a beloved following, my job would first be to protect it and then secondly to grow it. But not to grow it in a way that might cost me the following I already have. That's what you do with a radio station. That's what you do with a movie franchise. That's what you do with a, a brand of consumer products like beer. I, I'm wondering if this is sort of a, we're going to destroy the old so we can create the new thing. 210-599-5555. Because... Otherwise, you have to believe that the people running America's best-known companies are just dummies. And that's fun to say, 
But I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that, much as we might like to think so, I'm not sure that's true. And are my are we just saying that because we we want to believe that? Like, we we wouldn't make these decisions. We wouldn't have put Dylan Mulvaney on a can. So therefore, the people who do are, are idiots. Well, okay, but is it also possible that the people doing it are so married to their politics that that's all that matters? They're not worried about the stockholders. They're not worried about the investors. They're not worried because their goal is to signal how woke and correct and current they are. And, you know, remember when we were coming out of COVID, there were people that still wore masks, and we talked about how maybe some of them, and they're still wearing them, right? And maybe some of the people that were wearing masks were wearing the mask as a symbol. And that's, that's a symbol that says, I'm a Biden voter, I'm not a Trump voter, I'm compliant, I'm obedient, I respect Fauci, I, I respect science. I believe good citizenship involves obeying and complying. And I'm going to keep my mask on. I'm I'm positive there were people like that. I'm not saying it's true of all of them. But people will go to great lengths in their personal lives and in their professional lives to, to make sure you know that they're on the right side of things. They're in with the right people. So again, when you consider that the people running these brands didn't create them, didn't build them, are not the geniuses that came up with the marketing or the logos or whatever that that made these brands so valuable. These are just people that inherited that. They moved into the chair, but they didn't do the work. Who are they? Who's running Bud Light, really? I mean, if we don't know who's running the country, (laughs) and we don't, we know it's not Joe. Who's running Bud Light? Who's running Disney? Who's making the decisions that go against everything a company like Disney would know better to do or not do? So I think that's at least a possibility, although, again, I can't prove it. And, and, and it may be that they're just, they're just idiots. They're just not up to it. 210-599-5555. So tomorrow is uh, Independence Day. And there will be a lot of flags. There'll be more flag. Maybe you fly a flag every day, but there'll be a lot more flags tomorrow. There are a lot of flags today. I saw a lot of flags over the weekend. And a friend of mine asked me a question about all these flags that really made me think. And as soon as he said it to me on Saturday, I thought, oh, i got to bring this up. A friend of mine lives in Florida, but is from Maine. He uh, went home to visit family and have a vacation up there in Maine, which is a beautiful place to go in the summer. If you ever get to go, I... Highly recommend. Uh, I think they. I think the the beaches in Maine might be some of the prettiest uh, beaches in the whole country. Really, really nice. Um, he's up there. He or he, he's back now. He went up there and um, visited family. He said, "You know, um, I couldn't believe all the gay pride flags and trans flags. Like every third house had." 
the rainbow flag or the trans flag or the queer flag. And he said, um, he, he, he asked me, now this is a guy from Maine, and he asked me, he goes, do you really think there are that many LGBT people? And I said, no, I, I don't think there are. I really, and I'm I, look, do whatever you want, it's your house, but... When I see all those flags and I see them everywhere, I, I'm, I'm not sure that that represents the demographics of the population. As much as I think those flags are kind of a declaration. The putting that flag on the front of your house or whatever is, is like saying, I've got these, I've got this set of viewpoints. I've got this political position. I'm in with the right people. Again, it's, it's, what we call virtue signaling. So my argument to him, I said, I can't prove it, but I, I suspect, I don't, I don't think a third of Maine is LGBT. I just think there's a lot of people trying to signal where they stand. And then I started thinking about, and he and I talked about this. Remember when you were a kid and you'd ride your bike around? And did you really ever see any flags other than the stars and bars? The USA, Stars and Stripes. I mean, did, did you really ever see anything other than an American flag? Not that everybody had an American flag, but if a house had a flag, it was the, the USA. Occasionally, you'd see a state flag. Occasionally, you'd see a flag for the person's college or their branch of the military. But even that would only be like around Memorial Day or Veterans Day. You know. Um, that was it. So you either had the Stars and Stripes or you had nothing. And then I remember when the, I don't know what year it was, but when that black and white uh, POW MIA flag came along and people started putting that out, there was controversy about that, believe it or not, because there were people who thought that was divisive in that it, it harkened back to the Vietnam War and to some Americans the Vietnam War was an immoral war, an illegal war, Whatever. So there were people like, we don't want to see that. We don't want to see the, we don't want the, the, the POW MIA flag uh, flying on public flagpoles, or we don't want to see it in our neighborhood, or the HOA is going to make a rule. So again, there was this, let's just keep it to the stars and stripes. Now, now, we've got the, all the different rainbow flags. You know, there's several of them, right? There's the one if you're transgender. There's the one if you're uh, uh, if you identify as queer or uh, fluid. There's ones for LGB. There's all these different ones. And then we have people that are flying like the Ukraine flag. And then we have people that are flying, you know. Um, and so I started thinking about the proliferation of flags. And has there ever been a country in history? that started flying a lot of different flags and displaying a lot of different flags that, that, that held together. Like, is that, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to stop anybody from their freedoms, but is that a bad sign that we're doing all this, um, you know, we're doing all the, we're basically dividing into all of these tribes and we're, it's so important to us. I'm not just talking about the way people vote or the views that they hold in their heart, but they are putting it out front, like this place is 
affiliated with this point of view. And it's sort of like saying, you know, this is where we're at. I don't know where you're at, but this is where we're at. It's got a little bit of an attitude to it, right? How many people are flying those flags maybe because they think they should? Or they think it makes them look tolerant? Or they live in a neighborhood where that's in vogue? Because that's a trend thing, right? By the way, I wonder how many people are flying these various flags who were upset. Remember a few years ago when people got very upset? I think it was around maybe around the time Trump came along. But remember people were very upset about the, the Gadsden flag, which is the don't tread on me flag. Oh, racist. It's a dog whistle. It's not who we are. It's. But, I mean, in essence, we've gone from a country that yeah, we didn't all agree on everything, and we had elections and debates. And... But we, if we flew a flag, we flew the flag of our country. And you weren't made to, and you didn't have to, and I think that's right. But now, it's like, we've, we're, it's like we're a lot of countries. And of course... One other thing I want to throw in there before we we open this up to the phone calls. Um, I mentioned, I I don't know if there's ever been a country that held together like this with all these different identities and and what have you. But when I was a kid, the way the, the significance of the flag was explained to us, I don't know if they teach this anymore. Maybe this is, maybe this is outdated information. I'm just going to tell you how it was taught to me. The importance of the flag that was taught to me in school was that we are a country of people who have come together from all over. We don't have a shared genetic strain. We're not all one nationality or race. Uh, What makes you American is not that your people have always been American. What makes you American is when you come here or your people came here and they chose this place and they chose this system and maybe they even came in pursuit of it or as an ideal or to escape some horrible hellhole. And so the flag and the national anthem and all those things that that people say are hokey and why do Americans have to have their flags and their anthems before their games and all that. The, the, The way that was explained to us when we were kids, and I don't know if you remember this or not, was, well... That's because our country is is an idea, not an ethnicity. And if you're a country like most countries, it goes without saying that everybody's, you know, Japanese or whatever the country is. There wouldn't be as much need to sort of say it, signal it, celebrate it, remind it. It's just, it goes unspoken. Those countries have pride, of course they do, and patriots, of course they do, and nationalism and all that, but... But everybody has the same genetic makeup in their bodies. And we don't. So what has brought us together, or at least what has brought us all here, is symbolized by that flag. Therefore, displaying that flag is more powerful. I don't know if they teach that anymore. Something tells me they probably don't. But that, to me, is why when you would hear people say, oh, in France, they don't always have the flag up in front of public buildings, and they don't always sing their national anthem before every sporting event, and you people are hokey and weird that you do that. 
And I don't know, I, I'm not well-traveled enough to know what it's like all around the world, but I gather from what people say that we do more anthem singing and flag flying than do many other countries. But, but that makes sense to me. When you, when you have it explained to you as, well, we're an idea, we're a, a union, that does make sense. It's almost as if we are saying to one another, when we put that flag up on our front porch or the decal on our back window of our car, it's like we're saying to one another, this is what it's all about, right? Or this is what matters, right? This is, this is, despite everything else and all our other angsting and argument, this is why we're here, right? This is what tomorrow is about, right? This is why your son and my son and the couple down the street's son will all go and bleed and fight even though we voted for different people and we worship differently and we have different uh, ideas about things. We'll all go and fight under this flag because we know this is about stuff that's bigger than and over the stuff we differ on. And so coming back to the proliferation of rainbow flags, what, what, are we, what are we saying now? When you drive down a street where every house has a different, <laughs> flying some different flag, what, what, what's going on there, you know? Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's nothing. Maybe you don't think it's any big deal. I think it might be a problem. I think it might be something to keep an eye on. I mean, I think the thing about when I hear people uh, sort of complain or, or roll their eyes about how, oh, Americans with their flags and they're singing the anthem before every sporting event and we're so hokey and they don't do this in other countries. I feel sorry for people who really believe that because two things. First, I don't think they realize how truly unhappy so many people are in so many countries. Yes, I'm sure in many parts of the world, it never occurs to those citizens to run the flag up the flagpole because th th that is a country that's hard to live in or oppressive or a government that uh, is, is taking from them. So for one thing, yes, our patriotism may be unique or special to us, but it's because anyone who's got half a brain knows we're very, very blessed and lucky to be here. And then the other part of it is, if you are a country of people that have come from many different backgrounds and many different places, and maybe you're here because you came here and another person is here because their parents came here, and then the guy over there, he's been here for 14 generations. But there has to be something. You know, I guess it could be a secret handshake, or we could wink at each other, or we could do the Jeep wave. But there has to be something that says, we, we, you know, we get what's important here. And no matter how Twitter-pated we get about an election or something political or cultural. The, we're, we're never going to forget what what binds us and to what we are bound. 
And, you know, the other day we had the story about the WNBA player who was reacting to the Supreme Court decisions. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name now, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I just am not a WNBA watcher. But she, she played in the WNBA, and she tweeted after the Supreme Court decisions that, that um, the country is trashy or trash uh, because of these decisions. And I made the point that I think it's kind of interesting that somebody who is paid well to play basketball, which is no doubt her passion and her life, would think that she had a trash existence. But, you know, maybe we've maybe we've made it hard for younger people to appreciate what they have. I mean, maybe we made it too good. Maybe we made it too... Maybe there's been so little struggle that they don't see the value of a flag or of patriotism or of actually setting aside a day when you honor fallen warriors or you honor um, the, the, the Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. I mean, you can chalk all that up to the education system and ignorance and what have you, but, but isn't it also true that if you didn't, like if you, ne- if you were never hungry, you wouldn't care what it took to put food on the table. If you, if you always had money in your pocket, you wouldn't care what it took to make money or create wealth. And, and and I guess if you live in a country where your day-to-day is pretty set and secure, and truthfully, when we're having these political debates about uh, things like gay rights, the truth is that by any measure, a gay person in this country has a much healthier, happier, more secure existence than they would almost anywhere else. So maybe that's why they don't get the flag or they don't get the singing of the anthem. I saw where Charles Barkley, who I, I really like and, and often agree with, but this, this was, this was a, a puzzler to me. Charles Barkley has announced in the wake of the Affirmative Action Supreme Court decision that he is amending his will as it relates to Auburn University, which is his alma mater. He had uh, left Auburn $5 million in his will. And he now says that after the ruling, he wants to make sure that only black people benefit from that money. That whatever Auburn does with whatever he whatever he's willing them... <clears throat> Um, only black people should benefit. So I guess if it was scholarships or endowing a chair or whatever it might be at Auburn. And I mean, it's his money. It's his right to do it. I love Charles Barkley. Seems like a very bizarre choice to make. And I got to be honest, when I hear people say stuff like this, and I, I, I'm including myself in this, are, are we sometimes not maybe just having a little hissy fit? I have a very short temper, so I'm not judging anybody. But I know me well enough to know that sometimes my first take, my first reaction to something, something minor, the way somebody treats you in a store or whatever, is over the top, is not my best take, is not really where I'm going to go with it. But I, And i got to just like work through that. Isn't there a saying like you shouldn't? go with the first thing that comes into your head because you'll regret it. 
I mean, maybe this is just Charles Barkley being emotional or being caught off guard. I don't know how anybody was caught off guard by that by that that decision. If you even slightly followed the news, you you would know where that case was going. And we said this last week, all three of these decisions from the Supreme Court were were forecast and telegraphed well in advance. None of them were surprises. None of them came as a surprise to observers or analysts or even news reporters that cover the court. Um but maybe he's just, you know, maybe he'll rethink this or calm down. But yeah, that's what he's saying. Uh, he's amending his will so that the money he's leaving to his alma mater can only be used to benefit uh, black folks, he says. After the ruling, my phone was blowing up. I was talking to my friends. I need to make sure black folks always have a place at Auburn. And so he wants the money only to go uh, to them. The NAACP called the Supreme Court ruling hate-inspired and a dark day in America. I'm old enough to remember when affirmative action was still kind of a new idea, and I'll just tell you, it used to be like a plussing up, like it was an enhancement, like, hey, we're going to do this to help give people an opportunity. That's how it was sold. That's why so many people went along with it or didn't object to it initially. The objection to affirmative action is not that is not akin to or synonymous with hating people. It is looking at something that was supposed to be limited and temporary, recognizing that it's become permanent and unlimited, and then saying, you know what, it it has backfired, it is being used to pick winners and losers, when originally the idea was there would just be more winners. That's all it is. If people want to make it a stand-in for racism, if the NAACP wants to act like the Klan is 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 on the move tonight, is riding, is saddling up, that, that to me is performative. They can say that, but no one thinks that's true. We all know that's not true. And And it's time to just call that crap out. I mean, your your reaction is over the top. It's absurdist. We can disagree about affirmative action. We can disagree about the Supreme Court decision. But for crying out loud, a dark day in America from an organization that actually saw dark days and actually fought real battles against actual pernicious, murderous racism. You want to say that this is like a lynching? You want to say that this is like like an American crystal knock? Is that what you want to say? Because I think that's I think that sounds crazy to most of us, at least to me. Kind of this idea that maybe brands that have gone woke, like Disney and Bud Light, are, are they are they are they run by dumb people? Are they making dumb decisions, or or is it possible that they're kind of being flown into the ship on purpose by people who believe if we destroy a brand that's old and has tradition? We get to create the replacement brand. We get to replace. We get to create the new thing, which will have none of the baggage, none of the expectations uh, of the old, and that'll be our thing. You know, it's almost like the people that wanted to tear stuff down in the summer of 2020 rather than build things. You know, like to some people, maybe there is greater appeal in destruction than creation.
Destruction is easier, right? If you've ever done a home improvement project, the demoing part is way easier than the constructing part, right? So maybe that's it. I mean, maybe that's what's going on here. What do you think? 210-599-5555. I was, um, I forget where I was yesterday, and they were talking about the hot dog eating contest, the 4th of July hot dog eating contest. And it's, you know, that's a whole, that's actually a major league sport. There's like a commissioner of competitive eating. I don't know. That's probably not the name of the league, but just like, you know, the NFL is a commissioner and a board of directors and the MLB. The, the, the competitive eating is an organized sport. It has a headquarters. It has a structure. And it's the 4th of July thing, right? And that guy, Joey Chestnut, and the other. And I I, um, I consider myself a decent sports fan. And I, I feel like I've watched a lot of different sports over the years, not equally and not with equal interest. I really don't get the, I don't get the competitive eating one. I'm not, I'm not putting them down. I just, I, I, I'm intrigued by the fact that anyone would be a fan of that. Like, I'm a fan of eating. But the idea that you would want to watch other people eat as fast as they could, and have you ever watched them with the hot dogs? It's, it's not eating. I don't know what you'd call it. It's, it, it has a certain kind of, it looks kind of like torture, only they're doing it to themselves. It's kind of obscene. It's kind of hard to watch. It, it looks, I don't know. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be the, the, the food police, but it, it, it looks like you would really be doing a number on your health. So I'm kind of, like I can watch other sports and go, okay, I, I get why people like tennis. It's just not for me, but I, I get it. I'm not. I'm not mystified by why people would be tennis fans. I really don't know if I understand the competitive eating thing. Maybe somebody can explain that. That's the big 4th of July thing. <laughs> I mean, so random, right? 4th of July, yeah, hot dog eating contest. Um, just, I'll just tell you, let me, let me let you in on what's going on here behind the scenes. So we're having a spate of technical issues today. We, we can take calls. It's, just, it's a little more complicated for us to do that. You don't need to know that. You call the number. It works the same. But that's going to change what I do here because I had something else in mind for this hour, but but we really aren't technically uh, set up to do it. But the phone lines are open, 210-599-5555. In honor of tomorrow being the 4th of July, I wanted to play. This this just randomly kind of popped up. Um, in my social media uh, this morning, I think, in fact. And it's um, Ronald Reagan doing one of his radio addresses about the birth of freedom in America and America being the cradle of freedom and so forth and kind of ties into what we've been talking about with flags and anthems and um, people converting their political disagreements into... Well, I'm I'm not part of this anymore, and I'm going to put this other flag out in front of my house. This is Ronald Reagan doing doing a radio address, probably around the Fourth of July in the year in which he gave it. Take a listen to this cut number one. I love the Fourth of July. I enjoy picnics and fireworks and 
long summer days. And I get excited with the thought that millions of our people all across our great country will, on this Fourth of July weekend, join together in thinking about freedom and the men and women who sacrificed to make it our inheritance. It's easy to forget just what a revolution these Americans made. It's easy to forget how they amazed the world and how many hopes they raised. President George Washington, in the very first inaugural address, warned Americans that they had a new responsibility. He said, The preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the Republican model of government are justly considered, perhaps as deeply as finally, staked on the experiment entrusted to the hands of the American people. Now, you may not think of yourself or our democracy as an experiment, but look around. All over the world, millions and millions of people still live under tyranny. Their leaders claim that they're the wave of the future, that history is on their side. And yet their people look to us for hope. Their people look to America as the cradle of freedom, the place where the great civilized ideas of individual liberty, representative government, and the rule of law under God are realities. You know, um, I, love, I love the words, and I love his delivery of the words. And I would like to think that what he is describing and how he is describing us is still true of most of us, and, and I think it is. But it's, it's pretty clear when you look around that more and more of us have this idea that when, when we're not being given preferential treatment, that means we don't have rights. So stay with me on this and correct me if you think I'm wrong. I always thought rights meant you could come to the table. That your seat at the table was just like everybody else's seat. It was the same height. You were the same distance to the table as everybody else. You had a seat at the table. When did rights, quote-unquote, become preferences. When did we start defining our rights, not as Americans, but as groups we belong to? Like, we, we have, the, the reason the civil rights movement was called the civil rights movement and not the black people's rights movement was because its leaders were asserting rights that everyone was supposed to have, but not everyone did. What they were asking for and fighting for and marching for was that seat at the table. Same height, same distance from the table as everyone else. They weren't saying we want a better seat, the best seat, a higher chair, a chair with arms on it. No. A different table? No. weren't saying that. And they called them civil rights to drive home the point, hey, these are everybody's rights. But today we talk about LGB rights and women's rights and this and that. And, we, and then when we, when we get a decision from the Supreme Court, which generally is a let's get everybody up to the table kind of decision, but we don't get what we wanted or hoped for in that decision, it becomes an atrocity. It becomes a... A dark day in America. Nina Turner is a politician in Ohio 
I think she was a state rep or a state senator in Ohio. And she uh, tweeted out, this was yesterday, Last week, conservatives eroded the rights of black people, indigenous people, LGBTQIA plus people. This week, they'll celebrate freedom. Hmm. So the only ones celebrating freedom are conservatives. Um, and yet, I look around and I see um, pride parades where people are naked in front of children. They're not being prosecuted for indecent exposure. They're being given the keys to the city. Whatever you think of that, it doesn't look like oppression, does it? They don't look like oppressed people as we understand that term. Asian American people came to, came to this country, worked hard, studied hard, wanted to be judged on their merits, that's it. Didn't didn't ask for affirmative action admissions to universities. Didn't ask for uh, their own lane or their own admissions officers or their own standards. They just wanted to make sure that whatever standards everyone else was being held to, they were being held to as well. Found out they weren't. Argued that before the Supreme Court, and now people like Nina Turner are calling them white adjacent, and people on MSNBC are saying that Asian Americans are dupes. So how is it that they don't have any agency, like they don't know what they're doing, they haven't chosen their position? Like, I I, I don't agree with Nina Turner on anything, but I believe Nina Turner made up her own mind. Why can't Nina Turner believe people like me made up our own minds, or Asian American people made up their own minds? And by the way, being accepted to a university isn't a right. That's why universities don't take everybody that that sends in the application. No rights were eroded for anyone in America, but what was addressed was preferences. And how is it that we don't know the difference anymore between preferences and rights? They're actually totally different. Again, rights, you get the same height and chair at this table that I get. Preferences, everybody's got a different share. And you can see how that wouldn't work, right? Over the long term, if we pulled up a bunch of chairs around a table, but every chair was different, and every chair had a different height and a different access to the table, and um, and the assignment of those chairs kept changing based on elections and politics and pressure and who knows what else, you can see how that would be. A very unhappy table. You can see how that would be a table uh, uh, of constant squabbling and resentment. By the way, you can also see where nothing good would come out of that table, like uh, a country that could pull together and save the world from tyranny isn't going to come from that table. A country that could, um, you know, cure disease or hunger or go to the moon, or go to Mars, it isn't going to come from that table. So the frustrating thing about the Nina Turner viewpoint is she doesn't even get what makes us great. She thinks preferences make us great. And of course, if we had that system enshrined, 
the the battle would never be over and the struggle would never be over because whoever had preferential treatment would always be struggling and fighting to keep it and whoever wasn't getting it would always be filled with resentment and 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 you know reaching for it all the supreme court did as far as the colleges is concerned is ended a form of racial discrimination that was parading around under a fancier name, but that's what it was. Saying we don't want too many Asian students is an ugly thing. In the 50s, those same schools were saying we don't want too many Jewish students. You wouldn't hear anybody defending that now, or I don't know, maybe you would. And the lawsuit that was decided in the Supreme Court was brought by Asian Americans who, yes, Nina Turner, knew what they were doing and chose to do it and are not white adjacent and were not uh, uh, somehow tricked by uh, evil white people. By the way, as a white guy, can I just say, I love how one minute we're the dumbest people in the world, we're so stupid, we're knuckle-dragging, beer-swilling, football-watching morons, but then in the next minute we're so diabolical and clever that we have tricked some of the smartest, most resourceful people among us to uh, serve as our secret agents in the <laughs> in the affirmative action battle. I mean, which is it? You know, what am I? Am I, do- am I Doctor No or am I Doctor Evil or what? What am I? You know, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And um, I, I guess I would just say the final sadness or irony is that Nina Turner is a black woman who can't figure out that any kind of discrimination, any kind of discrimination that is made official and given the stamp of approval should be offensive to her even if it is not directed at her. Like, how has she missed that? You wonder, right? Talking about um, the meltdown over the Supreme Court decisions last week. We've been talking a little bit about affirmative action and uh, the debate over it. We've been kind of talking about flags. And again, I, I'm i a big, you know, you do you, live and let live guy. If you've got a house, if you've got an apartment, if you've got a balcony, hang whatever you want. Leave your Christmas lights up all year. I don't, you know, it's, it's, not, it's none of my business. I, I just... As I look around, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that's thought this, and I see a country where we have so many different flags, I wonder how that plays out over time. When I was a kid, the only flags you saw on people's homes and cars were was the American flag, and occasionally a military branch flag. But um, if... If I'm reading this right, it's not so much that um, we don't have patriotism. It's that we have a different kind. We're now, now it's important for us to be seen by the group or the hyphenated group to which we belong or have been assigned. And if that becomes the most important thing, are we able to set that aside in a moment when we would need to, in a, 
in a December 7th, 1941 moment, in a 9-11 moment. Um, are we still underneath all of our plethora of rainbow flags? Are we still all bought in to what we're supposed to be about? And it's a, it's an open question, right? I mean, we can all have opinions about it, but the only way we're ever going to really know, and God forbid it happens, is if we have one of those days in our history. What would really be a dark day, not Nina Turner's idea of a, of a dark day. The mayor of New York City, uh, Eric Adams, uh, made the news over the weekend um, with a new proposal for schools. You know, the... The public schools in New York are failing scandalously, and um, he's getting a lot of heat for it. So he announced that there will be mandatory breathing exercises uh, each day in the public schools, two to five minutes of what's called mindful breathing, uh, which I'm not too familiar with. But mindful breathing is apparently um, about using breathing exercises to uh, focus and reset your brain. Like, in theory, at the beginning of a work day or a school day, you would uh, calm yourself. You would center yourself with breathing. I've seen people use breathing like at the gym before they work out. They do the breathing exercises. I'm not saying, so don't get me wrong and don't get offended. I'm not saying there's nothing to this. Do we really think that is what is, um, is that really what like the, the low test scores and the illiteracy and the dropout rate? Do, do we really think that's what it is that the, the kids just need to take a few minutes to center themselves before they start the school day? And he was bragging about how, look, this is not going to cost anything, and, um, you know, it could have a positive benefit. Somehow I somehow I believe it will cost something. I <laughs> I don't know how they'll do it, but they'll either have to hire, like, breathing consultants or... Uh, order up some. Tri- the, the, somehow this will wind up being uh, a, a line in the school budget. I know it will. I, I promise you it will. But the theory is at least that this is something schools can do that won't cost anything. Uh, what do you think? 210 599 5555. I guess I could get on board if I saw them doing other things that are more concrete. I mean, I, I'm sure for adults taking a deep breath or breathing exercises has benefits. But I think what's happening with these kids is so multi-layered. I mean, it, it, it involves what's happening to them at home. It involves uh, social media. It involves the culture they're in. It involves the, the skewed curriculum or curricula that has more um, agenda in it than academia in it. You know, I'm not sure they can breathe their way through all the crap that we're trying to pour into their heads. I'm sorry, I don't, not 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 really seeing that that's going to be the the issue. Um, and and when you're having reading and math scores like this, do you really think as we look around the world and we see 
countries that spend far less per pupil, countries that are, in fact, themselves not nearly as um, prosperous as we are, greatly outperforming on reading and math, standardized testing. Do we really think, oh, you know what, wait till they see us breathing? We'll show them. I mean, does that sound right to you? I know there were a lot of high hopes for Eric Adams. I was one of those people that thought, oh, man, I hope this guy's different. New York really needs a miracle worker. Not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm taking a deep breath when I say this. I don't think so. KTSA, coming up, the results on the uh, JR poll about Indiana Jones. And 210-599-5555. Russell is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Russell. Hello, Jack. You know, um, I think they were talking about uh, deep breathing exercises and relaxation to help scores improve. Would that be correct? Did I understand that correctly? They called it mindful breathing. Is that the same as deep breathing? I am. All I know is we had to say, I'm, I'm 114 years old, uh, just about three months older than you. <laughs> we had the thing when I was a kid. I mean, it was called walking three miles to school and then having oh, yeah. class before we started. Yeah. And that seemed to work for my grade. I graduated pretty decently. I don't know. I mean, it's it almost, you want to laugh, but these are children and, and their future is hanging in the balance and they're getting a terrible education and this guy's idea is they should do some breathing exercises. I mean, it just sounds, it sounds zany, you. you know. And, and 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 honestly, there has to be more wrong than oh, they haven't been breathing right. Okay, I think we lost Russell. Russell, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Six thirty nine on KTSA. Yeah, the, if you missed it, the uh, the mayor of New York City uh, has come out with a plan that uh, there'll be two- to five-minute breathing exercises each day, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. By the way, um, as a side note, this is what you get. And, and a lot of cities, I would say probably most big cities are like this. This is what you get when you only have one school district in your city. So people think it's kind of nuts that San Antonio has like 16 or 18 different school districts. Uh, but at least this way, we don't get Ron Nirenberg deciding what all the schools should be doing. Uh, it's probably a good thing. Um, break it up, decentralize it. Um, anyway, uh, Mayor Adams says um, two to five minutes of mindful breathing. Think about it, he said during a press conference. We're not talking about hours. Two to five minutes is a game changer. Again, I'm not an expert, and I don't do it, and you may be doing it, you may be benefiting from it, but you're an adult you are probably not, I would guess, whatever your work is, whatever your job is, I would guess that is very, very different from what children are going through. We are forming them. We are building them up. You do a job. I do a job. We we basically do some stuff and we get paid for it. Um, they're, they're building their brains and their bodies and their futures and obviously something has gone terribly wrong in k-12 through education if it turned out after all the 
hoopla that all we needed was some deep breathing, I guess Eric Adams will be will be carving him into Mount Rushmore. I mean, if this works, if this is it, if this was the missing piece, I take my hat off to him, and I don't even wear a hat. But I don't think that's going to be it. I guess I could have a little more respect for it if it was coupled with or combined with some actual like meat and potatoes education reform. You know, we're going to get back to basics. We're going to we're going to throw all the charlatans and and uh, and uh, people with causes and agendas, and we're going to rigidly insist on uh, just you know basic, straightforward uh, curricula. I don't. I don't. I don't hear any of that. So, two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. There's a guy named. I don't know if I can say his name right. I think it's Katsimatidis or Kats Katsimatidis. He's a he's a multi millionaire billionaire businessman in New York. He owns he owns grocery stores and he owns. He actually owns the number one news talk radio station in New York City, WABC. He bought it three or four years ago. Kind of a surprise move. This is a guy that is a conservative activist. He has always been kind of interested in talk radio. He he rented time on a radio station at one point and did his own show. So he he got passionate about the use of and the the utility of talk radio and he bought this very expensive very famous radio station in New York. And now he is saying that he would like to buy CNN. A 74-year-old told the Washington Examiner last week that after seeing the recent uh, turmoil at CNN, including the departure of the CEO, um, who he thought was doing a pretty good job, that guy Chris Licht, um, he thought to himself, what kind of people are running CNN? And I'd like to bring common sense back to CNN, and he thinks he would like to buy it if they would sell it to him. Can you imagine? I don't know if this is a good business decision, but can you imagine the hysteria? You thought the Elon Musk thing with Twitter was a crisis for these people? Can you imagine the bedwetting, the rending of garments, the screaming at the sky, the threats to move to Canada? This very conservative pro-Trump guy was to buy CNN. I, I don't. I, there's no point even. There's no way it can happen, right? I mean, they wouldn't sell. They wouldn't sell this thing to him if he wanted to pay ten times what it's worth, and he probably could. But assuming he he did get the deal or got control of it, can you even imagine? I know a lot of people think that. This is the best thing for conservatives to do. Like, yeah, you got to buy up the media. You got to buy up what they control. You've got to control it. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to talk down my own industry. Um, and there's great power in owning broadcast media. But I don't know if we're thinking about the future. I don't know if buying CNN is the best use of this dude's money. I mean, if he's willing to put his billions at the disposal of his viewpoint, his values, which may be also ours. Um, I don't know if this is the right way to go. Because think about it for a minute. 
if I came on the air tomorrow and said, hey, everybody, uh, you should check out CNN. It's really different. This guy took it over, and he's running it, and he's you, you're going to love it. W- would you really, like, reorganize your viewing habits and go over there? I don't think you would. And the, the thing about sort of saying, well, we're going to take over this brand, and we're going to run it a different way, and we're going to put different people on, you you might as well just start something new. And I think the reason um, Musk bought Twitter is because he could. But I, I get the feeling if he if he hadn't been able to, he might have just started one. You know, he didn't buy General Motors or Ford. He started Tesla. His model is uh, you, you build it your way. You build it from the ground up. You don't have the cobwebs and the <clears throat> the ghosts of the old management. I mean, Tesla wouldn't be successful if he had just bought General Motors or some brand that existed. It wouldn't be the same, right? And it wouldn't have the cachet. People that like being seen in a Tesla wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same for them if 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 the car said Buick on it. it. Just wouldn't. So I don't know if buying CNN makes sense. I mean, if this guy has this kind of money, you need to build one, not buy one. I say this, of course, like a guy with billions of dollars wants my opinion. <laughs> Waiting by the phone, Jack, to see what you think. Because Lord knows you've, uh, you've shown the world. But no, I just, I, I, I'm a believer in this, at this point. The old thinking was you bought a brand, you bought an existing product, you bought the audience that came with it. I think building an audience is easier than bringing people back to CNN. Like, I think it would be, I think you'd be more likely to check out a new thing that you heard good stuff about than to go and tune in CNN. With all the history you have with CNN, I don't think you'd do it. There's my free advice. On the JR poll, River City Oral Surgery JR poll, are you an Indiana Jones fan? The latest uh, release in that series is out. Uh, 56% say yes. 44% say no. A new JR poll question Wednesday when we get started live at 4 or anytime at KTSA.com. Big tradition where I come from in Boston, big big tradition on the 4th of July is the Boston Pops plays uh, an outdoor patriotic concert. You probably have maybe seen it on, I think it's on uh, PBS. I think PBS shows it every year. Some one of the one of the network shows it. You can watch it tomorrow night if you want. And they're outside at the Hatch Shell, which is a concert shell on the banks of the Charles River, and it's a huge outdoor crowd, and uh, it's a big big thing to be out there. It's a it's the place to be in that part of the country on the Fourth of July. Um, one thing I didn't know uh, until I was uh, an adult was they have a full dress rehearsal of it. The day before. So people that go on the 4th of July, tomorrow night, get the music, the fireworks, the choreography of the two. If you go tonight, you get the full playlist of the symphony minus the fireworks. And a lot of people, and this is how I found out, neighbors of ours told us, oh yeah, we, we go on the 3rd because the crowd is less and it's easier to get in and out of there and the only thing we're missing are the fireworks and then we watch on TV the following night. So that's what's going on there tonight. 
Whatever you're doing tonight or tomorrow, uh, hope it's great. Hope it's safe. Uh, keep all your fingers and toes. Uh, we were uh, we were talking about spending money and whether or not a billionaire should buy CNN. There's a new book out um, I'm interested in reading and maybe having uh, this author on the show called When the Heavens Went on Sale, The Misfits and Geniuses Racing to Put Space Within Reach. It's about all the people, not just Elon Musk and Bezos and Branson, but all the people that are driving this uh, multi-billion dollar space race, right? The new The new space race is not the U.S. versus the Soviet Union like it was. Now it's all these different entrepreneurs and the private sector, rockets, satellites, space tourism. And if you think about it, I mean, the government is still involved, obviously, and has to be. But if you think about it, what's really happened is there was always a a strong private sector component to the space race because, yes, you could say the U.S. government went to the moon, but the U.S. government really marshaled the resources of all those myriad companies and defense contractors and tech companies and universities and uh you know nasa had they literally had a project in every state so that they could get as many members of congress to approve the funding and so it was always the private sector but the private sector was following the vision of the government The government had the vision to go to the moon and then turned to the private sector and said, build us the stuff, the technology, as only you can do. And I'll be curious to see what the book says, but to me what's changed is the government. Private sector is still full of brilliant people and brilliant companies and innovative products. We're still a country whose private sector can invent and innovate. But the government doesn't have the vision or the mindset anymore. We can't, our, our politicians can't set a goal that's 10 years in the future, like Kennedy did. They can't think past the next election. Unless, unless we're going to Mars in the next 18 months, they can't do it. That's what's changed. And so it's not so much that businesses have taken over. I think they've just filled a void. And that's interesting when you think about it. Uh, we're, we're not led by people of vision, people that can stay focused. These politicians have the attention span of a flea. I mean, they can't, or the lifespan of a flea, I don't know, one of those two. They can't do the long-term stuff. Look at how we're dealing with China. Look at how we're dealing with, with Putin. Look at how, look at how we're dealing with energy. Look at how we're dealing with anything. None of it represents like long-term thinking, commitment. We got a plan. We're going to stick with the plan. I guess maybe we need some mindful breathing. Maybe, maybe instead of the New York public schools, maybe our politicians need to do that. Back here live Wednesday. Happy Fourth of July. In the meantime. <laughs>